This is the Uncommon Christian Podcast with Michael Hinton. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in today for episode 28. Today we are kicking off a new conversation series called Read the Room. Have you ever heard of this before, the saying, read the room? One of the things I love about humanity is that we have a definition for everything. Every phrase ever invented has been defined, and all you have to do is go to the one source that knows everything, right? Google. I mean, there's already been a phrase called bundled like Bernie, based off of Senator Bernie Sanders' fashion choice at the presidential inauguration, right? So here's a definition from Google as it relates to the phrase reading the room. Reading the room means to use one's intuition to analyze the general mood of the people in a particular setting and act accordingly. So in other words, reading the room means that uh, we use our thinking power, our ability to recognize the atmosphere of where we are and to adjust our attitude our behavior, and our mindset to meet the level of the room. Now, for some people, this is easily done. They're able to walk into a situation or to a place and quickly recognize that the moment calls for a certain type of response or reaction. For others, like myself, it took a while before I fully understood how to read a room. It's something that, you know, as I progress in life, I'm still working on. Uh, I'm much better now than I was early on in my life. I remember my junior year of high school, uh, we had just gotten our state test scores back. And uh, if you you know were in high school, you, you remember having to take uh, state tests to pass and get out of high school. Now, the people I hung out with were both high achievers and super popular, which in and of itself is pretty impressive to be both. Uh, I'm pretty sure that they only let me hang around because them because they felt bad for me uh, because I was neither super popular or high achiever. Uh, But a few of them had gotten their scores back that day as well, only to find out that they didn't pass a section of the test and would be required to retake it our senior year, right? Now, I, on the other hand, somehow and miraculously passed all sections. I couldn't believe it. And so I was super excited to tell my friends. So I showed up to lunch and I probably proclaimed that I I was awesome and that I had passed all the tests and that the test was a piece of cake and anyone who failed was an idiot. (laughs) Oh, man. I'll never forget one of my friends looking at me and said, Michael, great job reading the room, man. If it were possible to feel both proud and horrible at the same time, then it was in that moment. Now, had I had the the ability when I was 16 years old to read the room better, I might have recognized that flaunting my accomplishments and declaring those who failed were idiots wouldn't have been the best thing for the moment. But hey, I was 16, and can you really expect a 16-year-old to have that much self-awareness at such a young age? Well, I, I guess, yes, you can. Just as you can expect someone who is 26-year-old and someone who's getting ready to turn 36 or 46 or 56 or, or so on. You see, the problem is, is that we look at the world through what I call self-colored glasses, okay? Now, some people look at the world through rose-colored glasses, right? Which means that they are overly optimistic and believe everything will just turn out peachy keen, right? Just fine. People who see the world through self-colored glasses, which is pretty much everyone, thinks about themselves 
first. There is no consideration given towards other people or persons, right? They look out for number one, which is ourselves, and it's only after do we turn our eyes towards another. But by the time we do so, it's too late. We've already either caused harm or missed out on a chance to help someone make their day. We're too focused on making sure that we take care of ourselves first. Now, self-preservation isn't inherently evil. There's nothing worth wanting the best, being the best, and doing the best. However, where it goes sideways is when our desire for the best outcomes does harm to others. And that's what this series is all about. I want to spend the next four weeks walking you through the lives of the first 12 disciples of Jesus. They were literally the worst at reading the room, especially when it came to putting the interests of others in front of their own self-serving interests. The benefit, though, for you and I is that Jesus used those moments to teach them and essentially us lessons about reading a situation and responding appropriately. Like, for instance, there's like this moment right when Jesus is about to get arrested. That's pretty interesting. I don't know if you've ever read this story. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, I'm sure you've come across this. And if you're new to faith and you're just checking out Jesus, well, there's this pretty interesting story that we find in all four of the ancient literatures that talk about Jesus. What We refer to them as the Gospels. But in the last of the four, the book of John, John tells his story uh, that about Jesus, and he is about to get rested. So here's let me set the scene. Jesus is in the garden praying, basically trying to get himself in the right frame of mind as he's about to be taken and, you know, hung on a cross to die for the sins of humanity. Meanwhile, Judas, who was one of the original 12 disciples, who ends up betraying Jesus, is leading some soldiers, officials, and the religious teachers, also known as the Pharisees, to the place where Jesus was at. They were going to make their grand arrest of Jesus. Now, when they all gather, they tell everyone that they're after uh, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, right? And Jesus says he is who they're looking for. Now, this happened twice for some reason. I don't know if they didn't hear Jesus the first time, but he says again, I am Jesus of Nazareth, okay? So Jesus says the second time that he is who they're looking for, and they should let the disciples go. So Jesus is pleading, okay, look, I am Jesus, take me, leave the disciples alone, okay? Now, before we go on here with the rest of the story, I want to I wanna paint this picture. People come to arrest Jesus. Jesus doesn't want anyone to be harmed and for there to be a peaceful exchange, right? They get Jesus, nobody gets harmed, okay? So we're all on the same page, good. Because out of nowhere, and I literally mean out of nowhere, Peter, who's one of the disciples, takes out a sword and swings it towards one of the high priest's servants, cutting off his ear in the process. Literally, okay? You ever seen one of those memes where it's like nobody, absolutely nobody, and, you know, there's nothing, and then it says me, and then usually it's something crazy or ridiculous happening? I really believe this moment could qualify for that meme. I mean, here's Jesus just trying to make sure that no one on either side is harmed. And Peter just takes it upon himself to be the great defender of Jesus by cutting off a man's ear. Talk about a true read the room moment for Peter right there. Like, I get that Peter like wanted to defend Jesus's honor and 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 do something. But to cut off a man's ear is just a little over the top for that moment, don't you think? But let me ask you, 
How often have you reacted or responded to a situation a little over the top? Maybe you found yourself in the moment that required some grace, but instead you responded with anger, frustration, hurtful words, or even violence. Maybe you were so eager to pass judgment that you didn't stop to think what was best for the moment. I know on many occasions, that's where I found myself. Not the violent part, no, I don't, I don't do violence. But most certainly with anger, frustration, and hurtful words. I could have easily diffused the situation if I had just read the room and recognized that instead of anger and frustration, maybe some grace was needed. I think anyone who's followed Jesus needs to understand that. That the best way to bring the temperature down in a conversation or a situation is nothing other than grace. Because if you meet the temperature or exceed it, you're only asking for more trouble. Let me just say that again. The best way to bring down the temperature in a conversation or a situation is grace. Because if you meet that temperature or you exceed it, you're only asking for more trouble. And I think that's what Jesus meant when he, like, after he heals uh, the servant, he says, look, for all who draw on the sword will die by the sword. He wanted Peter and the disciples to understand that violence, hate, anger, and frustration will only escalate the situation to a place potentially of no return. The same can happen with our words or how we treat someone in the moment. If we resort to malice, we will have to deal with malice in return. I'll say that again. If we resort to malice, we'll have to deal with malice in return. But if we can be better at reading the room, then our own response should be grace. And we know that grace will almost always de-escalate the tension and lower the temperature. So here's what I want to do. I just want to give you a couple of things as I end here that you can do to seek to read the room with grace, okay? First thing, really quick. Learn the simple phrase, I'm sorry, or I am sorry, however you want to use your grammar there. I'm sorry, I am sorry. You see, my wife gets mad at me all the time when we're in the store and someone bumps into me, right? Or someone bumps into us and I'm the first to say sorry. It's not me bumping into them. It's them bumping into me and I say sorry. And she's always like, why do you always say sorry? It wasn't your fault. I tell her I do that because I feel like it quickly de-escalates any potential misunderstanding fairly quickly. And in our marriage, I'm usually the first one to say I'm sorry, even if the argument or the misunderstanding wasn't a result of something I said or did. I'm not saying I'm perfect by any means, but I'm sorry is the best way to extend grace. When you say I'm sorry, what you are saying, what you really are saying is I really care about how you feel right now. And if I did something, I meant no harm. So Learn the phrase, I'm sorry. Here's the same thing you do. Keep short accounts, okay? Keep short accounts. If, you are, if you've got a tally sheet in your head or even on your phone of how many times a person has wronged you, you are just looking to escalate, okay? You're just really looking to escalate. Grace isn't about keeping a record. Grace is about erasing the record. Pastor Mike Roberts, who is a pastor at Hydes Church in Victorville, California, in episode three, he talks about this idea about grace, and he, he, he 
pairs it with this other understanding of mercy. And here's what he says. Grace and mercy are twins. Grace gives by giving. Mercy gives by withholding. Such a powerful statement. You see, when we don't keep tallies of all the wrong committed against us, we are extending both grace by giving and mercy by withholding, you know, anger, frustration, judgment, all those different things, right? Here's the last thing. Lightning fast forgiveness, okay? Read the room with lightning fast forgiveness. Before someone even asks for forgiveness, even if they never do, if they ever do, right? Do yourself a favor, start off forgiving them anyways. You see, forgiveness has a greater benefit for the forgiver than the one receiving the forgiveness. If someone comes and asks you for forgiveness, read the room. It's not a time to remind them of all that they've done and everything they've ever done wrong against you and and why it's too late or they should have come a lot sooner. No, 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 no. If they come and ask for forgiveness, forgive them because the benefit is for you more than it is for them. And if they never come to you, if they never, ever come ask you for forgiveness, at least in the end, you can release all the weight of that moment, all of it. That's putting others before yourself. Honestly, that's what it means to be an uncommon Christian, that you can read the room. Hey, I want to thank you for listening today. If this was helpful for you, would you do me a favor, a big favor, and share this with others? Also, I'd love it if you would provide a positive rate and review on Apple Podcasts, which will help this show reach more people. And that's what it's all about. It's not about fame or popularity. This podcast is all about encouraging and inspiring every Christian to love Jesus and to live out their purpose in uncommon ways. Thanks for joining and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Christian Podcast with Michael Hinton. For more information on today's topic, visit UncommonChristianPodcast.com.